Dr. Willis Stewart is consultant neuropathologist at the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital, Glasgow, and holds honorary associate professor status at the University of Glasgow and the University of Pennsylvania Department of Neurosurgery. Dr. Stewart leads an internationally regarded research laboratory engaged in multiple programs investigating the pathologies of acute and long-term survival from traumatic brain injuries. Working with the unique and comprehensive Glasgow TBI archive, Dr. Stewart's research describes the complex neuropathology of brain injury across a range of exposures and survivals with particular reference to the link between TBI and neurodegenerative disease. Dr. Stewart directs the field study which aims to describe lifelong health and dementia risk in former soccer and COPI on the multi-centre collaborative research programme. That's a long-winded intro, but basically what Dr. Willis Stewart does is look at neurodegenerative diseases, impacts from sub-concussive blows, impacts from concussive blows, and Dr. Willis Stewart sort of references concussion as a softer term for what is a mild brain injury. Chris, how do you find that, mate? Yeah, it was one of those conversations which um, I think is incredibly important at the moment. Anyone who's a fan of high-level sport, whether it's boxing, rugby, even football, we really need to understand what these sports are doing to people and what the long-term effects are. And I can imagine, mate, look, it was a hard one to be on for me, being your friend and having my own concussion, but I know it must have been a hard conversation for you. Um, Mm. And, yeah, I think it's a really, really powerful conversation and one we should all really heed. Yeah, and, uh, mate, it was a tough conversation, but... As we spoke a little bit, I think we need to cut through um, that. We can't really dance around it and we've got to bring the facts out and we've got to make instant change for concussion in sport, um, TBIs in sport and the, the care around it. We need to change the culture. We need to change the game in effect and uh, we need to, to need to bring more of this upfront education to the surface too. So what a great chat this was and without further ado... Dr. Willie Stewart. We've got Chris O'Connor as the co-host by my side. We've got Dr. Willie Stewart, who is the main man who we're going to be talking to today. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, Stevie. I'm good. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. Uh, I'm looking forward to the chat. Brilliant. Brilliant. Great to have you on, mate. And um, could you just tell us a little bit about what you do um, as, as a job? So my, my day job is as a, as a doctor who diagnoses... Um, problems with the brain and you know the tissues associated with the brain and, and I do that as a pathologist so so I, I get bits of tissue um, sent to me from the surgeons uh, sometimes we do post-mortems and we look at the brains and, and what we do is we take samples and stare up and down a microscope and try and come up with an answer so diagnose a brain tumour, diagnose a form of dementia um, I, or sometimes looking at muscle biopsies and, and it's people with muscle problems and dystrophies. That's my day job. My research job for the last 20 years or so has been trying to understand what happens to people when they um, sustain a brain injury uh, through trauma. And in particular, the last 10 or 15 years, trying to figure out what the, the lifelong consequences might be from being banged about the head. Wow. Okay, mate. So the, 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 the day job then, that's is that sort of all autopsy related? Um, no, no. I mean, the, 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 the vast majority of what as a pathologist, uh, we do is diagnostic work. So 
it's for patients who have, um, say, brain tumours, um, and we, we do the diagnostic work on that. The surgeons will, will send the material across and they'll work out what kind of brain tumour it is, and that helps guide the, the treatment they get. So, so nearly, I mean, these days, pretty much all the work that hospital pathologists do is to do with you know, diagnosing conditions in, in living people. Oh, wow. So would you, would you work, obviously, closely with the neurosurgeons then? And, and would that be through scans or, like say, through the tissue? No, uh, so we, no we work very closely with the neurosurgeons. And uh, unlike, you know, all the other bits of the body you, you care to think of that you can get at quite easily with needles and with biopsy um, and machines, etc., um, the, the brain, as you know, is inside this closed box, the skull. There's no easy way of getting at it. Um, so, whereas you might have a, you know, a, a, you know, a, a, you know, a breast cancer, you know, lump in your in your breast that, that um, the surgeons can get at and, and do a biopsy of, and, and you can work out if it's cancer before you do the, the big surgery to, to to look after that cancer. With the brain, they can't do that. Mm. So, what what happens with brain surgery with somebody who may have a tumor there is that the surgeons will um, open up the head and take a tiny biopsy of it and send it to us, you know, while the patient's in theatre. And we'll look at it down a microscope and give them an idea of what the, the type of tumour it is so that they can plan the surgery there and then. And then they'll, they'll go ahead with the surgery and send us the tissue from that. Well, wow, so that's like a, a live kind of up-to-date. So they'll wait for your response before continuing with the procedure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And it's because, you know, the, the, the brain imaging, you know, the, the scans that, 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 that we do um, are really good at, at kind of narrowing it down. So, so they'll be able to say before they go to theatre, look, it's, it's one of a few options you know, in terms of what kind of disease it might be, but but not necessarily say exactly what it is. Now, the surgery will, will vary depending which of the options it might be. So if it's, a, a, you know, a, a tumour which has got there, you know, a metastasis, you know, cancer, you've got somebody else in the body and it's spread to the brain, the surgical management of that is different to if it's a tumour that's grown in the brain itself, its primary um, origin is the brain. So the surgery is mm-hmm. slightly different. So the surgeons will, will, will have a rough idea what they're going to do but not in, not until they're in theatre do they, do they make the final decision of how they're going to operate on it, and that's where we help them out. Wow. This might be jumping out a tiny bit, but I think, um, obviously, uh, we mentioned off air we've all had concussions, and one of the reasons we got you on is because me and Stevie are both interested in concussion. But do you do any sort of um, post-mortem sort of stuff where you can assess if someone's had TBI or things like that? Um, yeah, so... so- I mean, part, part, part of how I got into this is through um, uh, when, I, when I was training to, to do my job um, back in the day, um, we, we, we did quite a lot of forensic work, so some medical legal work, so people who had been found dead in the community somewhere and there was maybe suspicious circumstances. And part of that was whether there'd been assault or traffic accident or something in that question. And what we would do is uh, study the, the brains at the post-mortem to see if we could find evidence of trauma. Um, and uh, in those circumstances, you know, we're really talking about the, the most severe end of, of injuries. So, you know, mm. assaulted, fall down stairs, hit by a car. People with, with um, the milder injuries, concussions, um, you know, thankfully it's, it's, it's generally a mild injury and, and they don't tend to die of the brain uh, problem. It's, it's more that, you know, they may of other systemic problems like, you know, hit by a car, multiple injuries and concussion and die. So so is there any any sort of like we probably are jumping a bit, but yeah, I think so there's that, that many questions. <laughs> is that many questions that, that I think yeah. me and Crystal have? Um so as a basic question, for someone who's had concussion, um 
or a few concussions in her life, would there be any sort of um, results on an autopsy that you might gain to have insight to say this 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 uh, this man or, or woman's had concussion in their life? I mean, that, that, that's, I mean, that's a really good question. It's by no means a basic question. It's actually a really difficult question to yeah. answer. Um, the, if, if, if somebody's had a single injury um, uh, and, and we get an opportunity to, to, to study their brain, so, so a single mild injury, you know, a concussion, and, and die for, for, for other reasons often, um, it can be really difficult to see anything in the brain. Um, what we what we what we can see in some of these cases is that the fine fibres that connect up the brain, so the the fibres that take the message from your brain cells and pass it around the brain or to the rest of the body, those really 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 fine fibres, we can see some of them show signs of damage. So they've been stretched or torn by the way the brain has moved. Mm-hmm. So we can see that. Um, but but these are fantastically few cases where we've had a chance to do that. But what we can do is really super sophisticated brain imaging where we use you know, really sophisticated scanning machines that, that do studies that aren't normally done you know, in hospitals for diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, then you can, you can see evidence in the scans that in people who have a concussion, single concussion, and who you know, obviously don't come to me in, post, in post-mortem but are surviving, but we do the scan, we can see evidence that Again, those those fine fibers in the brain may be torn or damaged. You know, um, so so we see that now. The big question, I guess, is is that's one single mild brain injury, one single concussion. Um, the, I guess the the, the, sort of the billion dollar question is is you know to what extent does that recover? You know, can you repair it? But like you've torn a muscle. Um, I don't. The answer to that is probably not. Um, but but you know how much of that damage do you need before you end up with a long term problem that doesn't recover? And that's the kind of questions we don't have. Just um, before we ju- we jump ahead, there, just want for people who haven't had a concussion, or yeah. for people who um, uh, perhaps maybe had a light concussion, never had post concussion syndrome, like like we have. Could you just define in simplest terms like what a concussion is? So concussion is a brain injury. I mean, it's just a term. It's just a term we use um, to 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 sort of soften. <laughs> They uh, had discussions about brain injury. So, so brain injury um, is something that we, um, I mean, Glasgow's got a long history of understanding brain injury because of, of our, our pursuit around here, which is to get drunk and fight, I think, on a Friday night. So, so for 50 years, Glasgow's been studying. You're not brain. doing anything for Scottish stereotypes there, will you? That's, <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, you might as well be honest. You know, why is there a Glasgow coma scale? Because, you know, there's plenty of coma to study in Glasgow. So, so, and, and the Glasgow Coma Scale is important because essentially that's a way of, of measuring consciousness. You know, how 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 conscious is an individual? And that Glasgow Coma Scale uh, was derived in the seventies by by some of the neurosurgeons here as a way of being able to, you know, I could talk to people in in America or I could talk to people down the road and explain how conscious a patient was in front of me. And using that Glasgow Coma Scale, where you, you look at how people are speaking, how they're moving, what their eyes are doing, um, and you give these scores. You can add up that score. And, and, a, and a normal, you know, us chatting here, our coma scale would be 15 out of 15. Um, if somebody's got a mild brain injury, then their coma scale is 13 or above. So 13, 14, 15. So, so first of all, the important thing in there is that you can appear to be perfectly you know, functioning normal your coma scale is, is 15 out of 15, but you've still got a mild brain injury. 
And then we, we, we go on and, and look at, talk about moderate brain injuries where your coma scale is you know, less than, than 13 and greater than nine, and then a severe injury where it's less than eight. So adding up all these responses. So, so the first thing is a concussion is a mild brain injury. We, we use the, the term concussion because it's, it's easier to say. People kind of think they understand what that is. But actually, we're just what we're doing is just sort of softening our language um, when we're really talking about brain injury. And it's important that we use that language of brain injury because what we're saying is that you've actually done some damage to the brain at some level. Maybe you've lost consciousness. That's obvious. But, you know, memory can be disturbed. You get headaches. You get, you get all sorts of other things as well. Emotional disturbance, which go along with concussion because you've, you've, you've done damage to your brain. Yeah. From what you said there, like the, the, the term of, of concussion and it's, it, the softening of being able to use that, it does sort of evade, like you say, the fact that you've injured your brain and the fact that they may be physical, how small they are, however small they are, um, injuries to the brain tissue or the fibres. And I just, I know we were talking a little bit before about the sort of the leaking of information and the sort of gradual tapering up, I guess, to, to a bit more knowledge on concussion, a bit more knowledge on what the symptoms are, a bit more knowledge on what people can struggle with. I feel like growing up myself, it was very, you know, thinking about the term concussion, it was sort of very casual. It was like, oh, he's had a knock on the head. He didn't know where he was for, for you know, an hour. He couldn't remember what he had for dinner. Like, like quite casual and no one really sort of, in, in my sort of experience when I was younger, suggested that there were anything serious or or sinister. Yeah, um, I mean, it, I mean that, 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 that's that's one of the, the biggest frustrations. Um, you know, okay, th- th- there's a change in attitude in the last 20 years. We, we know that. Um, so, mm-hmm. so, so, you know, but, but in, the, in the last 5, 10, 15 years, I think one of the big frustrations is that, and, and we see this a lot from within sport and, and, and you know, the, the, the sort of sports experts that, that, that want to advise on this issue is, is a almost a downplaying. So there's a lot of, of talk about, you know, concussions of functional uh, disturbance of the brain as if nothing structural, no damage has been done. It's just that, you know, you need to reboot the computer almost. And as that, that, you know, there hasn't been evidence to support that for, for many years. We, we know that, you know, structurally deep down, that there's, there's something has been damaged. And it may be, as you see, a tiny, tiny, you know, it's a few fibres, maybe the way a blood vessel is operating, something like that. It could be, you know, incredibly small, but, it, but it's, it's still damaged. It's important. But we also know, um, sadly, that um, these uh, mild brain injuries, you know, concussions, even if you get a moderate or severe brain injury, often they can present very similar way to begin with. So, you know, we, we don't have to go too far back. Uh, in fact, this year was the 10th anniversary of Benjamin Robinson's death, who um, was playing rugby uh, as a, as a schoolboy in Northern Ireland and got a bang in the head, which the people around him, um, you know, uh, looked at him, felt that he was, he was okay, that there was nothing much wrong with him and let him play on. Now, now that's something we would never encourage, certainly not today, you know, if, if a kid gets a bang in the head and you're asking a question, do they have concussion? You have to remove them because it's an if in doubt, sit them out. Unfortunately for Benjamin, he got knocked down, got back up, got knocked down again, got back up, got knocked down again. And I think it was the fourth occasion where he didn't get back up and unfortunately passed away. So, so you know, the question is always, had he been taken off the first time, would it just have stayed as a mild brain injury? Would he have just had a concussion? Would he have been, you know, survived and, and, and you know, beat university today? Or, you know, leaving him on, has he sustained more damage? Has the injury become something more than, than, than what would have been a mild injury? So, you know, I think, I think the, the message is really important. 
you know, concussion is a brain injury, and that brain injury could be really serious. And you mentioned something there earlier, mate, which definitely jumped out at me. Is um, you said so once you've had that injury, and the guy, I'm sure both me and Steve will kind of there'll be moments where we're both alarmed by some of the stuff you say, but. I, knowledge is always power right and it's how we you move on with that knowledge which is what matters but you mentioned once you've had that injury that, that damage those tears are, are permanent those stretches and tears and stuff or we don't yeah. we don't know yet but the best evidence suggests it is kind of a permanent yeah cer- certainly from the the kind of you know the, the the kind of evidence we've got so far is that once once you've torn once you've once you've um broken that axon it, 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 there's no there's no great suggestion it's going to repair so but, but we're talking about, you know, these could be, you know, infinitesimally small. I mean, really, really difficult yeah, yeah. to see. Um, you know, we've got super microscopes here and special techniques to see it. We're, we're talking about, you know, imaging studies, you know, brain scans, which are super research level scans to be able to see this. Um, so, so, you know, it may, you know, these, these single injuries, these single concussions, um, yes, they'll cause some damage, but, but the chances are of it, one single concussion being, you know, a lifelong issue that's going to be, you know, um, something that you're not, not going to be able to kind of cope with is is pretty slim. It's, it's the cumulative effect. You know, add up a concussion, another concussion, another concussion, one or two, you know, head impacts and tackles that don't produce concussion, but nevertheless twist the brain and cause a, you know, a tiny bit of damage. All of that added up is where we're worried about the long term effects. Presumably, you've got millions of these things, right? Is that these axions or? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And so the neuroplasticity, that kind of concept gets used a lot. And yeah. like there's loads of science around meditation, things like that. Can you form new ones of these or not? Or is... So, so the, 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 there's, there's there's great potential in the brain, we understand now, to kind of find new, find ways past it, form new circuits, form new pathways to try and get around the problem. So we do have this ability to to find you know ways of, of recovering, even if we're not healing, even if we're not um, repairing the damaged axons. We find ways of, of you know, trying to get the function back. Um, but the problem is, as they, the worry we all have is that, that once lost, it's lost. You don't get it back. And so while you might be able to get around that uh, blockage in the road, say, um, by finding a new road around it, eventually you're going to run out of roads to get past that. You're going to end up with, with just no way through. Um, so, so that's where we worry about the cumulative effects of injury leaves us with a position where actually we can't find the recovery routes anymore and we're left with permanent damage. What are some of the ways that, that you recommend as, as recovery routes um, to, to find extra extra sort of pathways and to sort of develop that neuroplasticity? And, and well, I mean, we, we, we don't have brilliant understanding of that at the moment. I mean, the, um, you know, one, one thing is to, to avoid um, you know, getting another injury. Um, so, um, you know, if you've got the damage there, try to avoid putting more damage on top of it, you know. Um, mm. Give the brain time to recover. Give, give yourself time to recover. Um, one of our one of our big anxieties is in, in particularly in professional sport is this rush to get people back um, and playing uh, when 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 the brain needs is time to heal. Um, so the the current protocols for for return to play would have you back in six days. That's you know that, none of us who work with brains are comfortable with that. And, and actually, you know, the sport that's had to deal with this most is boxing. You know, and they they learned several decades ago that if you don't you know, manage brain injuries properly, then, then the entire industry is going to shut down on you. So, because it's just not safe. So they, they some time ago realised that if a if a boxer gets you know a technical knockout or a knockout, then they they they're out for weeks, if not months. The light is taken off them, and they're not allowed to 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 go in and even train. Yeah. Whereas in rugby, 
uh, in football and these other sports, um, you get the same effectively the same brain injury because you, your brain doesn't know whether it's been is boxing or playing rugby. It's, it's just saying I'm damaged. I'm out of here. Uh, I push you on the canvas of the grass. But six days later in rugby, you can be back playing again and, and risking another injury. So, so avoiding another injury is a great way to begin with of trying to you know allow your, your brain time to heal. Actually, some gentle exercise would find probably helps to, to in the recovery as well. Um, and then then you need to you know when you're starting to think about all the different things that can go wrong in the brain or all the different things that can happen in concussion whether it be visual problems, memory problems, whether it be um, balance problems, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of things. Each of these needs to be looked at separately, and I think that's what we're bad at. We, we kind of think that brain injury is brain injury, and, and the rehabilitation process is written down by return to plays and all the rest of it. But actually what we probably need is this kind of specialist care where somebody can strip it back and say, right, what is your specific problem? Mm-hmm. How might we we find a good way of, of, of encouraging your, your, your recovery in that specific problem rather than thinking about general problems with brain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's a sort of the approach that I'm taking at the minute is, is I've got vestibular issue, mm-hmm. um, which obviously balance and, and sort of, well, yeah, stability. Um, and then there's a migraineous concussion um, that, that's there, which is sort of hard because, you know, I'm, I'm suffering with the migraines quite a bit, um, which inevitably stops me from being able to do the exercises for the vestibular. But sometimes the vestibular exercises cause a migraine, so I'm in a bit of a cycle or a chicken and egg situation, really. Um, it's quite hard to know the, the best way to, to go through it and to, yeah, to, to work on, on my brain, developing my brain. Um, I mean, one, of the, one of the things that, that I think the UK is, is awfully far behind in compared to the US is actually having good specialists that can deal with, with this kind of injury. Um, you know, actually, good rehabilitation services for brain injury, full stop, never mind, you know, putting in the severity, mild, moderate, severe, but just good rehabilitation services for brain injury are, 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 are dreadfully poor uh, in terms of, of resource and supply in the UK. And yet one of the things that we know that um, is, is best for, for recovery of brain injury, again, whether mild, moderate, or severe, is, is, is rehabilitation services. So... So if you get hit by a car and somebody comes in to do your rehabilitation in the first few days and weeks, your recovery is going to be much better than if you get, you know, end up six months down the line and you need to go and see rehabilitation. So, so getting in early gives the, the brain the best chance to heal. But we just don't have good services in that in the UK. And, 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 and in the US, you know, sport, there are specialist sports, concussion clinics, rehabilitation clinics popping up all over the place. And they have been for, for years now. Um, and yet in the UK, we've only got a handful of people that are dealing with this at the level it's required. Yeah, I feel like that's one of my big um, passions going forward, mate, to um, assemble that, to be able to create a bit of a centre um, and support for people that, that do suffer these, um, you know, away from the pressure of, of, of sport and, yeah. um, you know, the, the win all cost mentality, because I think that needs to be completely separated when it comes to... to I mean, it's just just to just to pick up on the mild again, you know, and, and talk about need for rehabilitation. One one of the things that, again that comes through in the in the the, the the sports spin on concussion is that it's a it's a mild injury, and that ninety percent of people recover uh, within a week or two. And, and actually, that's you know pretty much nonsense. Um, the more data we get, the more we realise that that, and, and the more people are aware of the kind of things that are related to the injury. Um, the more we're hearing actually the proportion of people who have problems 
and there may be you know two or three or four weeks out, but but you know, and, and not necessarily six months out. But people who are who are getting continual problems, we realise proportions much much higher uh, than we'd expect. And actually, you know, this talk of a mild brain injury, you know, we say concussions are worth to soften it. Mild brain injury even sounds soft. The reality mm-hmm. is, for many people, it's anything but a mild injury. You know, we're talking months of of symptoms like yourself. You know. That, that that are impacting on daily life, that change career plans, et cetera, et cetera. So, so we, you know, even even that word mild underplays perhaps for for a considerable proportion of people, and that may be anything from, depending on, on the research and data you look at, anything from, you know, ten fifteen percent of people in a sports context, or even half people who turn up at, at hospital with a mild brain injury may end up with symptoms months down the line. So, um, anything but mild. It's still quite a. It's quite regular. Concussion is quite a regular thing to to happen to someone. So yeah. even that ten fifteen percent in the sports context, and especially half, there's quite a lot of people in it. That's huge numbers, and that's why you know I think one of the things we're trying to do is, is improve. This is overall saying you know I've got a good friend who you know works in sports medicine who has a clinic that that you know you can get specialist referral to or private referral to, and you can go in um, and see and get concussion management. This needs to be NHS. This needs to be just part of, of the clinical services that are available to you know everybody who rocks up at, at, at the department with a bang on the head. They, they should rehabilitation services should be there because this, as you say, concussions are incredibly common. You know, mild ranges. We, we, we just in chatting, you know, have got uh, um, you know a variety of experiences of concussion that, that are out, out, outside of, of sport, organised sport. Um, so it's a common thing, yet. It's not something that we, we we do much in terms of, of organised NHS services at the moment. Mm, it's um, it, I mean, I've I've as you probably uh, would guess, I've I've tried quite a lot of different things. Um, constantly taking the supplements and, and constantly wondering about better ways to attack it and, and to treat it. And the one thing that I've come across recently is. Um, neurotherapy or neurofeedback i think that's probably something that's big in the us are you aware of that and do you have any um yeah advice on on that and, and how you do it yeah no i'm not not specifically not directly um what, what i would say is that they, they would you know we've we we're, we're gathering data on what could be effective ways to manage it so you know physical activity rehabilitation all the rest of it um but but one of the Frustrations, particularly the brain, is we know so little about how it works. Never mind what happens when it goes wrong. Uh, that actually people do tend to to reach out for um, other ways that will support and help them. And, and my general advice in, in anything, whether it be um, cancer treatments or brain injury treatments or whatever, is that that if you want to give it a try and you find it benefits, then by all means go for it. Um, as long as somebody has has you know, you know given you a direction that it's safe to go ahead. And the most important caveat to that is, is, and as long as you're not paying huge sums of money for it, because there, there are sadly a lot of people circling who have um, ideas, gizmos, gimmicks, or treatments uh, at great cost that there's no evidence base that they do anything at all um, other than, than lighten your bank account. So, um, you know, if it, if you feel it helps, go for it. Um, if it's safe to go ahead with it, go for it. If it's not costing you great sums of money, or or it's within your kind of you know your your, your budgeting and that you can you can afford it, then then go for it. Um, but just be cautious. Yeah, cheers for that, mate. And um, I'm just thinking on the scans. You said the research um, that, that are doing scans and, and sort of more high def stuff. Is that an MRI DTI scan? 
So one of the there's a there's a bunch of different so so what we call them as modalities. So so an MRI is is a magnetic resonance imaging scanner, and and it it, it kind of produces all sorts of depending how you set it up, depending how you twiddle the, the dials and knobs, you get you, you get different types of image from it, and they show different things. Um, they show slightly different um, pictures of the brain, and and a DTI is is just one version of that, but there are other versions as well. Some that look more at the um, uh, the, the, the way the blood vessels are responding. Others that look more at structure, others that look more at function. So, so combinations of these are what we're looking for. DTI is quite important because it gives an idea of white matter, it gives an idea of what's happening with the, the fine fibers. Um, but it's only just it's only just one of the kind of research level things that, that we do. Yeah, and that is one that I think is probably a bit forward thinking. But are you aware of the, um, the research into saliva testing? And I, I feel like that that might test for a certain type of protein. I don't know if it's tau protein, but it sort of a signifies inflammatory response in the brain. Yeah, so so the, the the problem is that with 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 concussions and these myeloid branches, we really don't have a good way of, of diagnosing them. Um, you know, even the kind of most sophisticated research level brain scans, you know, won't necessarily show much. You know, that we're, we're saying that you know, if you look at hundred people, you find a number of them show a bit of a change in the brain, but but many of them don't. Um, they, uh, they so we're looking for other ways of trying to to diagnose it. Um, and because at the moment, you know, I just have to ask you questions. You know, can you can you remember this sequence of numbers? Can you can you repeat back this um, this this address to me or these these words to me? Can you uh, tell me how you feel? Have you any symptoms? And of course, that that's a terrible way to go about trying to diagnose somebody because um, you know they they we all we all have problems on, on any given day trying to respond to these questions. And also, you can game you can game them as well. So so that's so it's not a brilliant way to do it. Um, so we're looking for something which is objective that we can use as a test that tells us your brain is not working or your brain has been damaged. And one of the things we, we're, we're thinking about is there is there fluids we can get at, bloods we can get at, saliva we can get at, which will show us something that will give us a clue. I think, to be honest, in terms of concussion, whilst these are, are you know fancy and they, they sound quite science fiction and all the rest of it, I think that's where they lie. I'm not sure that, that you know, we're ever going to get to a point where uh, you'll be playing a, a match, you know, on the field, you get a bang in the head and be running and, and get you to spit on a on a on a card until you've got concussion. Um it's just it's just at this stage very unlikely. It it might help in the day or two afterwards to give us a clue as to how long you might take to recover or you know, whether you need um two weeks out or three weeks out or four weeks out, but I don't think necessarily being able to diagnose it is going to work at that level. So would that be um, sort of an inflammatory response through the the saliva that you might get like in the days after? So, so the the in that particular one, what, what they're looking for is is a, is a, is a kind of form of protein microRNA, and um, so it's a little bit of kind of your your kind of um, the the, sort of the the sort of messaging protein that your body and cells produce to try and uh, um, you know regulate function, and and actually what what. The, the, these studies do is they, they don't necessarily look for a single um, target, um, so, so a single protein or a single change. What they do is they just they just take the spit and run it through a machine and see what's happening with all possible microRNAs and proteins, and then see if they can figure out, you know, from the ones that go up, and the ones that go down, um, what the the problem might be. Um, and and yeah, the things we're seeing in in you know the blood tests and the other tests is that there's clearly evidence that. That you, if you look hard enough, you can find that, the, that there's been damage to the brain at some point in mild brain injuries. You know, so we, 
we see brain proteins where we shouldn't see them mm. in blood. Um, we see um, changes that suggest there's a bit of inflammation on the go uh, when, when there shouldn't necessarily be. Um, but again, these are it, it, to, to diagnose it based on these these tests um, is is something that I don't. It's never going to be pitch side. Um, it might just be something that happens, you know, in the clinic and the day or the two afterwards. And, it, and it's the kind of thing that I don't think necessarily going to make the diagnosis, but might help us understand how you, you might uh, recover. Right. Okay. I mean, I think, I think in an ideal world, we'd get to a place where there's an objective measure um, and an objective sort of reading that you could take to sort of, yeah, just make the whole thing a lot easier. A lot easier, I should say. Um, you spoke a little bit uh, about uh, just before we kicked off about an experience that you had um, yourself, Willie. Could you could you chat a little bit about that and, and how that felt like for you and, and what the aftermath? Yeah, I mean, so it's a, I, I, I always, you know, this is a, an enlightening story for me, but, but possibly for other people as well, is the difficulty of of diagnosing the injury and recognising the injury. So, you know, my minute, you know, uh, this was just over three years ago. Um, so, you know, I've been studying brain injury for, for 15, almost 18 years at that point. And uh, I, so, I, so, I, you know, I think I'd know everything about it and I'd be able to recognise it. Um, and I'm cycling into work in the morning and uh, a car came across a junction, took me out. And next thing I know, I'm lying in the, the middle of the road. And there's a bunch of friends and colleagues who were on the way into the hospital around me looking after me. And I get admitted to the hospital um, through uh, emergency up onto the ward, orthopedics with busted pelvis, busted wrist, few scars and scrapes in the face. Uh, and other than that, I thought I was fine. Um, and I thought oh, it was great actually you know, a bit of pain but otherwise great um, got my laptop brought in was sitting in the bed you know, emailing the world telling them you know, all the stories and don't worry about it I'm still here functioning um, you know, keep the research going keep the cases coming I'll, I'll sort it all out the next day uh, a former student of mine popped in to see how I was and uh, it turned out he'd been there at the accident saw the accident more or less happened and his opening question was, you know, so what happened? And I told him the story of the, the accident, um, as I remembered it, and he's, he sat and listened to it and shook his head and said, that's rubbish, that's not what happened at all. Mm. And it turned out I had no memory of the accident at all. I just My brain just filled in the gap by making up a story. Um, and, and I told everybody that story again through the hospital, and, and the doctors knew because they, they, the ambulance had taken a picture of the car that had destroyed. Um, you know, I, I, the front end of the car was totaled. Um, and yet I'm telling a story that it was a, a van that pulled out on me and I had hit the side of a van. Um, and nobody thought to say, you know, your, your recollection of this event is rubbish. So maybe there's something wrong in your brain. Uh, nobody. And, and, and I didn't, you know, because nobody had challenged me, I didn't even think there was anything. I thought, you know, I thought I remembered the events clearly. And only at that time, day and a bit after um, the accident, did the penny drop that I, I had uh, I'd got concussion. Um, and then from there, for the next few weeks, my short-term memory was shocking. Um, you know, I, I, I would I would literally be out of the same conversation at home several times in a row with my wife. Um, I would um, get up to go to the downstairs toilet, and of course, with a, a busted pelvis, that's quite a quite a challenge to get moving. And uh, I would uh, I would shuffle off to get to the toilet, and I would get you know halfway there, and then think, what what am I doing? I can't remember what I'm doing. Um, and by that point, I'm in the kitchen, so I would just make an assumption that I was there to make a cup of tea and stick the kettle on. Uh, 
and my wife would come in and say, geez, that was quick. You know, I thought you were going to the toilet. And I'd be like, oh, oh yeah, I was, yeah. And I, I was say off. And it, you know, it, it was, it was, it took several weeks for that to settle down. Um, and, uh, and it was a real, you know, it was an eye opener to me because, you know, I've experienced concussion in the past playing rugby when I was a schoolboy, but, but it kind of brought back to me just the kind of things we're talking about in terms of the, the difficulties of, 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 of my old brain injury, but also the diagnosis, you know, you know, it's my job. This is what I do in research. I'm, I'm in a hospital with experts in emergency medicine and with dealing with this kind of thing. And, and nobody realized that, you know, I had a brain injury until um, it was just somebody popped in and, and, and put me right on the story. Um, and, and that's where and that's where I think we really need to work towards an objective measure. You know, I sometimes speak to doctors and um, specialists and, you know, they're telling me about concussion. Uh, and I'm like, you know, you're probably the perfect researcher, Willie, now. I, don't, I imagine it wasn't pleasant then, but, you know, to have an understanding of what it's like, understanding the confusion, uh, the anxiety, the sort of, uh, like, almost like... Um, resistance to it and like you know that's 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 what that, that that's certainly what I went through and I know Chris um I think I think what it felt like for me is 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 that if, imagine your brain is like a box of, of insecurities and, 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 and ambitions and goals and stuff like that and your drives and your motivations and it just gets like smashed a bit so like just just rattled so hard that all of those bits find themselves um, flying everywhere, and, and and you can't really quite work out what's almost what what's real and what's what's not real, um, and it, I think it's very it's very much an experiential thing um, to understand it and to understand you know the softened way of putting it, concussion or, or, or brain injury, and you know f- f- it's it's almost that I've had to to go through this because all my life I've been achieving and trying to achieve and achieve and. Um, you know, to to just keep physically pushing myself through stuff, um, and and you know, play that role. But this is an injury that's made me stop. And like, no matter how many times I tried to train it off or work through it and and persevere and and sort of keep on the bike or keep doing weights, it just kept telling me to sit down again and to to stop for five days after it. And it's something that. Is, is really sort of well made me think of life differently, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, again, it, it comes back to the same point. You know, the, the word concussion is just to soften, you know, brain injury, and even mild brain injury, which is where it's classified, is is completely underselling the problem because you know we know that that you know people have significant problems for quite a period of time, and I, and I, and I think that I, I mean I think. I, I, I think taking stages. I mean, I think I think having a, a you know a magic objective test that, that diagnoses the injury. I think I think that's that's still a lot, quite a way off. You know, I think I think we're we're still going to struggle to find one of those. I think from my experience and, and others is that um, just just an awareness that it might be there. So, you know, when I was uh, when I was admitted to casualty, you know, I went through the casualty. The, all the right things were done. Got scanned from top to bottom. You know, all the important. Um, um, investigations and, and management things were done, but, but but maybe what we needed to do, or maybe somebody needed to do, was to take me through a concussion recognition protocol. You know, do a couple of simple memory tests on me. Um, actually, they probably didn't need to. You know, the fact that you know I, I made up a story about what had happened should have been enough just to say 
we'll skip the testing and just put you down for a concussion. So it's, it's more it's, it's an awareness and recognition it might be a problem. And then one of the things we're working on at the moment is that um, you know for people who come into the emergency room and who have got a bang in the head and may you know be at risk of concussion, but but our testing in the emergency room is negative, is actually just giving them information about what may happen tomorrow or the day after, but also following them up you know, yeah. several days later and saying, how are things going? Because, you know, I suspect there's probably a lot of people who, you know, maybe like me, seen in casualty, discharged with no concussion, but but actually in the day or two later, we you know, are, and, and that's the people who are getting, running into trouble because, you know, you're two or three days down the line. I mean, I kept myself fortunate because... At least I, under, I kind of understood what was happening. You know, I, I could figure out what was going on in my life. I, I could go home, have a problem with short-term memory, but understand, you know, why this was happening. My wife's a doctor, so she could kind of, you know, um, accommodate as well. But, but you know, if it, if it weren't, you know, if I, if, I, if I didn't have that knowledge, you know, didn't have my wife as a doctor and I'm just at home with no short-term memory, you know, that's really frightening to people. Um, you know, with the other symptoms, you know, with, you know, headaches, you're describing and all these other things. These are really frightening. So, so we need to kind of think, one, just get better at thinking this could be a problem. You don't necessarily need to have an objective test. Just could this be a problem? And giving people the information and the tools to understand that, you know, in the next day or two, a week or two, if things start to develop, it's to be expected, please, you know, here's what to do. Here's who to get in touch with. Here's how to go forward from there. Can I just uh, ask for a kind of distinction, Willie? Because, um, but one of the things I noticed is that when I had, it was not so much the concussion, it was how the concussion manifested itself in me. Uh, I noticed a lot of people would say, oh, you know, I, had a, I was fine within a week or two. And then when, when I went to the GP, it said, yeah, it usually resolves in a few weeks. Um, and I, I got to about six and a half, seven months before my symptoms resolved. And as Stevie's going through now, like I, I really do, uh, my heart completely goes out to him because I remember how kind of alone you feel and how... Um, you know, constant headaches, dizziness, and it's quite invisible to everyone else. No one else can see what's going on in your head and they might just presume you're okay. And I kept getting this kind of like, oh, some people would almost make it think like it was in my head. They go, well, look what boxes, they get knocked out all the time. Because I was knocked unconscious briefly as well in my one. And it was more that why was it so bad in me and why were some people, um, again, like just think of boxes, probably the most obvious example, could they deal with repeat... They get a medical suspension, but they might be fighting again six months later and get another knockout and then get 10 in three years. And I had one. And why was I so bad? And, and they weren't. Um, I guess we're, we're in the realms of post-concussion syndrome rather than concussion here. But um, yeah, have you got any thoughts on that? Because the concussion itself, loads of people might get. But for some people like myself and Stevie and, and perhaps you, it became so much more than just recovering within a week or two. I mean, these are really important questions. And like all the most important questions, the answer at the moment is we just don't know. I mean, the, so, so we're talking about, in terms of, of traumatic brain injury, it's the most complex problem, most complex pathology, the most complex organ in the body. Um, and and the, part of the complexity is that, that um, you know, one of the things, say, for instance, that, that, that you know, people are trying to kind of pursue is, is some sort of sensor that you can wear you know, in a gum shield or, you know, behind the ear or in a helmet, if you're wearing helmets in sport, that will that will, that will will trigger, that will let you know if somebody may have had a concussion. That sounds like a fantastic idea, but the reality is that's never going to work because 
the the range of, of blows and impacts that that people get. You know, some people can be hit, you know, by front row forward traveling at full speed, get it straight on the you know the side of the head and jump back up again and play again. And then the next guy could be hit by the scrum half who's just turning around to pass and get, get glancing blown the side of the head. So much lower force of impact and be out like a sack of potatoes and take months to recover. We just don't really understand all the things that, that, that contribute to the risk and the, the severity. You know, so, you know, how easy it is to get one and how long the symptoms take to recover. We just don't understand them all. We've got some idea. So, you know, if you're young, then the, the risk is higher. If you are female, the risk is higher. Um, actually, depending where you are on your cycle as a female, you know, your, your menstrual cycle, the risk can change as well. Um, if you've had previous brain injuries, the risk is higher and the, and the recovery time can be longer. But these only explain some of the things. You know, the rest of it is completely unknown. And even within those ones that we think we understand it. So, you know, you've had a concussion before, your risk is higher. We still don't understand why necessarily the risk is higher. Um, is there a genetic component of all to it, Willie? Um, I, I think I, I came across one yeah, study that mentioned uh, APO4, I think was the gene. I might be getting that wrong. But yeah, that... no, so, so APOE4 um, is, a, is it, so the reason people fixate on that one is because it's associated with um, risk of, of dementia, of Alzheimer's disease. Um, and also in uh, people who've got uh, brain injury, then, then, then when you look at the, the, the immediate, you know, day or two after brain injury, up to a few months after after brain injury, then then some of the outcomes can be influenced by this gene Apple E4. Very common, you know, 15-20% of the population have this E4 gene. Nothing you can do about it. You've got it. You know, just live with it. But in terms of concussion, uh, in terms of even the late effects of concussion, the dementia-associated issues with, with exposure to brain injury, Apple E4 doesn't seem to, at this moment, have a, a, a role we can identify. But but you know that's just that's just the kind of the obvious headline gene that we know about that we think about in brain injury and, and brain pathologies. There are there are, there are there are hundreds and hundreds more that we haven't even thought about yet. That that somewhere in there must be something to do with genetic association in terms of your response to brain injury. We just need to go on the exercise to find it. At the moment, we don't have it. And then even if we do find it, what do we do with that information? Is it is it one of these things where we say, you know, you've got. The, the genetic risk X, so therefore you can't play rugby league, but you can you can you know take up long distance running or something. I mean, we, we just don't know um, what we're going to do with information, but we're we're trying to find it. Mm. And um, maybe the, the the stuff with the gum shield as well. I mean, in my case, I don't think that would have picked anything up. I was um, I was basically on the head squashed um, on the two players on the floor. Um, you know, between the floor and the two players. So I don't even know if that would have shown up. Um, and, and and like you say, it's so so varying. It's so varying in terms of the knocks that you get. You obviously, you know, I, I think back to my experience playing. I'm like, those three eye tackles in the game before. Would, was that adding up into sort of some um, risk factor um, bank of of, of knocks? And um, I guess you just you just don't know. You just a lot of it is is really hard to tell. Um, and and just talking about those knocks. What's what's the some of the stuff that you've done on subconcussive stuff, Willie? Yeah, so that's a, that's a really important point because we, we've talked you know a lot about concussion, about brain injury, and, and really concussion and brain injury are just because there are symptoms, you know, there are signs. So, so you know, you you, you say you, you involved in that incident where um, you know you could could feel a problem, people could see the problem, you know. Um, 
But the reality is that for, for every occasion where that happens, there may be dozens or hundreds of occasions where you've banged your head, where you've fallen, where you've, 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 you've taken a hit. Uh, that doesn't actually produce any signs or symptoms, but, but the, the brain's still moving inside the skull. There's still that, you know, that, that risk of injury. And just because you haven't gone above a certain threshold where you, you actually feel it doesn't mean that you haven't done some damage. Um, so so the, these are kind of, these, these are sometimes referred as subconcussive blows because there are no obvious outward signs or symptoms. And the, the thing that we're, we're kind of getting to in this is that um, if you think about, you know, you know, the damage to your brain, you know, if you get hit by a car, you end up in a coma in, in, in the neurosurgical unit for several days and all that. You can imagine the damage to your brain is, is quite remarkable. There. You know, simple scans, simple brain scans can see that damage. And so you know you've, you've, you've torn a bunch of tissue. If you go think of a mild injury, a concussion, and we're saying that you need to use research, you know, fancy scans to see the damage and the symptoms are fairly mild, you may end up going home, you know, from casualty or if you can get to hospital. But there's still damage there, but, but far less than when you get hit by a car. Um, it, subconcussive blows, we know if you look at research over a season of, of, say, playing football or playing rugby, you can begin to see damage accumulating in the brain of people who, who may not, not have had a concussion for the whole season, but have added up a whole bunch of impacts which have, have still caused the brain to rotate. Um, so, so, you know, br big brain injury, lots of damage. Concussion, not so much damage. Um, Subconcussive, still some damage, but not easily visible. But, but, you know, you add all that up, it ends up as being something significant over time. So, you know, 1,000 bangs on the head, hitting a football or running into tackles could add up to, you know, who knows, four, five, ten concussions. Um, and maybe four, five, ten concussions could add up to being hit by a car. We just, we just don't have the numbers on that, but we think it's important. And actually, this brings back to the concept that whilst we talk a lot about concussions and what happens to you in later life, I think probably more important for athletes is the number of times you don't get a concussion. So the number of times that you bang your head in training, bang your head in the matches, bang your head, um, you know, head, practicing, hitting a ball. These all add up. These are all a problem. You know, so if we just focus on brain injury, we forget the, probably the bigger picture, which is the cumulative exposure to head impacts. So, and, and what's the reading for the cumulative exposure to head impacts? What's the visual stuff that you can see, um, you know, after seasons of measuring, you know, uh, exposure to loads of subconcussive blows? So, so for instance, football, football heading has become a big interest at the moment um, for various reasons. And, um, you know, actually just one session of 20 headers uh, in research that I was involved in, if we tested your brain function um, before you went in to do a session of headers, so looked at your memory and um, looked at how the signals pass from your brain to the rest of your body and then take you in and have you head the ball 20 times, just a standard kind of corner kick type header and then go, take you straight back out and measure your brain function. We find your memory has slowed down, so you're not remembering things as well as you should do. And also the signals passing out of your brain towards your muscles have slowed down as well. Um, also, if we do a similar test, you know, check blood proteins, um, what we do is we find that, that after that session of heading, the, uh, the, the brain proteins that shouldn't be there are, are in, now in your blood. So, so we can see evidence of brain protein escaping out into the blood just from one session of about 30 headers. Um, if we if we scale that up and say let's do it over a season and see what happens, um, but this time look at brain scans. Then if we look at brain scans in footballers over a season, 
what we see is that by the end of the season, there's, there's just evidence of DTI, these scans of the brain. We can see evidence that the, the fine fibres in the brain in many of the players are, are damaged over the season and that their brain is just beginning to look as though it's been injured by it. Um, so, so we're beginning to gather that evidence, but it's fantastically difficult because, again, if you come back to a patient in coma who's been hit by a car, MDC can diagnose that from the end of a bed. You know, a patient in the emergency room who's been hit by a car um, and is a specialist in, in understanding brain injury um, who's got a concussion is very difficult to diagnose, we know, because it took a day and a half to do it. Um, so, so the testing, the, 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 the ways of, of getting at these subconcussive blows and the cumulative effect of them are fantastically difficult, but we're beginning to, beginning to unpick it. Like, I'm, I'm aware that this is probably quite a hard conversation for you, Stevie. And, mm. you know, as, um, you know, the past few years, you've become one of my best mates. And I, it was kind of difficult watching rugby league at, as a fan once one of your friends is in it and you start seeing the other side of it. And I've found elements of this conversation from my own concussion. I know Stevie's been a high-level athlete for many years and has been involved in multiple um, sub-concussions, I'm sure, Stevie, you'd admit. And I think what, firstly, the key, I think, is that it's, I think it's amazing that you've made the decision to step away at this age. I think it's incredibly brave. And I think you've saved yourself years of more possible damage. But I think it'd be really good to think about with with where Stevie's at and a lot of high level athletes are at now with that pressure of wanting to play and we're having these good conversations, but there's still loads of human beings who've who've gone through all this and, and Stevie who's who's suffering with concussion now. Like what things do you think can can mitigate um some of the damage that's that's already been done for people who, who might be worried about this now or pe- people like yourself will you played rugby or people listening who said oh i've been playing rugby for 20 years amateur and had loads of head knocks so i mean this 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 gets to the heart of what we're trying to do at the moment this we, we, we've, we've talked for half an hour or so and it's it sounded awfully negative because we've, we've talked about the horrible things to do with brain injury and concussion which is actually, important it is important to yeah important. to get the whole picture but it's the important oh. thing is that you know, sport by and large, physical activity by and large is fantastic. So there's a whole bunch of benefits on it. And these are physical benefits, health benefits, mental health benefits, all the rest of it. But but this brain injury thing is a real problem. You know, we need to do something about it. So so we're now we're now uh, you know one of the things we're trying to do is say okay, it's it's we've got to stop talking about it and actually do something about it. So first thing is it's it's all about prevention. So so at the, the 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 level where you're participating in sport, what we call the, the early life phase of of you know an athlete's brain, you're participating in the sport, first thing you can do is cut down on the number of head impacts, you know, all these so called subconcussive blows that for no no benefit, no there's no there's no reason for them. Um you know you're doing them on a Tuesday afternoon in training and, and nobody sees it and nobody, you know, nobody cheers it. Um, you don't score anything from it. Um, you don't get a bonus from it. You don't get more points from it. You just get abuse from it. So we can cut down on that. So get rid of the, the unnecessary impacts that um, aren't part of the the match day. Um, the NFL did that years ago, very successfully. Um, there was a study actually in, in, in the US just published last week that showed actually considerable numbers of concussions in college um, uh, football, American football in the US, are because are, are, are sustained in training. So, so these are these are completely unnecessary. You know, brain injury in training completely unnecessary. Might happen, but but we should get rid of it. Recognise the brain injury better and get people off the park and look after them better. So this six day return to play is just nonsense. Um, 
you know, it should be dictated by the, the player and, and I'd say minimum, you know, two or three weeks at least, you know. I mean, look at boxing. You're talking weeks out for a concussion. Mm-hmm. So why should uh, a rugby player's brain be any different? So that's that's during the game time. Cut down on the unnecessary impacts, deal with brain injury far better and deal with it much more seriously. And then, you know, Stevie's left the game. Um, the, the damage he's done to his brain, there's nothing we can do about it. You know, he's 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 got that injury, the, 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 the cumulative effects are there. Um, so we're now in what we call the midlife phase, which is where damage exists, um, but we haven't got to the late life phase where we're seeing the, the kind of potential um, uh, effects of it, which include things like dementia. So what we need to do is focus on that midlife phase. And that's where we're really at now and saying, what can we be doing for people who've, who've already got the game damage and who are living with, with uh, symptoms of concussion or even just uh, living with the, 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 the problems to do with brain injury, which, which aren't causing any symptoms there and then. And that's where we talk about brain health. So we know, for instance, if we're talking about dementia, there are a dozen risk factors that we now recognise for dementia that you can, you can modify, that you potentially can change, you know, that we, we have some control over. It talks about genetics. Nothing you can do about genetics. You're, you're, you're given your genes, you just got to live with them. But other things we can change. One of the risk factors in there is traumatic brain injury. So unfortunately, you know, people like Steve, we can't do it. You, you and I, nothing we can do about the traumatic brain injury. We've got that. You know, that, that risk is already there for us. But there's 11 more that we can be working on that will actually hopefully improve our brain health for the rest of our life. Um, and and you know act against you know, you know fight the the damage that the trauma has done and these are things that are you know better diet physical activity um, you know mental health issues uh, blood pressure smoking you know there's a bunch of stuff in there that, that actually we we can sit down and and we can all the three of us can work on and say you know am I doing my best for physical activity am I doing my best for blood pressure am I doing my best in alcohol consumption so we can work on all that and actually improve. Outcomes now. This is this sounds easy, but but you know, Steve has got you know case in point that sometimes the physical activity part of it, you know, doing the exercise can be difficult because it brings on some unwanted symptoms. So it's about finding the appropriate level, just finding the right level that over time we can start to work on. But using those eleven other factors to give your brain the best fighting chance of lifelong brain health. Yeah. Uh, thanks for that, mm-hmm. uh, Willie. I will just. Um, and a lot of things, you know, I bang on about it all the time. And, and Chris says that we do meditation, and, and I'm sort of, I'm hanging a lot of, of my hat on that. You know, I'm doing probably average about 30 minutes, four minutes a day. Um, I'm not having that, Stevie, by the way. I know what you class as meditation. And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, Steve, Stevie, Stevie class is sleep as meditation. Be like, <laughs> I did nine hours last night. So, listen, I mean, you know, it's, it's, this is part of the, so, 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 you know, Mental health depression um, is 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 a, is a risk for for brain health as well um, and for dementia. You know, so, so actually, we'll talk about meditation. That, that's about kind of you know dealing with mental health, dealing with dealing with that side of things. You know, f- for me, I I I get my um, physical activity and my sort of mental health reset from the same thing, which is jumping on a bike and going for a long ride in the middle of, in the country and just kind of getting away from everything. No phone, you know, no distractions, um, and that brings me back charged and ready to go. Meditation may be the way to do it that works for other people. People find their own ways of just keeping their, their life in balance, keeping their, their brain in balance. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's something we've 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 launched quite recently, um, which is sort of that mental health training regime, Willie. You know, people identifying what works for them, yeah. installing habits, uh, implementing them, and um, having that community, which obviously you know it speaks for itself in terms of mental health. And um, that's something that I'm so invested in with. As well, a, what, as what a, we're just to put into practice, what we're doing actually, we're we're in Scotland. Hopefully, in the next month or so, couple of months actually setting up brain health clinics um, targeted specifically to begin with at our, our former elite and professional athletes because we realise that the issues over the last few months, um, whether it be in rugby or in football or in, in rugby league, um, have, have, have actually, you know, they've caused a lot of people to stop and think and, and we're particularly worried about the kind of, what, you know, this midlife, this, this left the game and, and, you know, still got plenty of life left. Um, we're really worried about what's going on there. That, that people may be, you know, reading the stories, um, hearing about litigation, you know, dealing with with former teammates with problems, and believing that that their course is is you know towards an irreversible, progressive, relentless disease um, because of damage that they've got through the game. So, so we're we're going to you know, bring into place um, brain health clinics pretty quickly to get um, our our former professional and elite. Uh, rugby players, footballers, men and women in and just sit them down and give them a full MOT. And I, I think we're going to find that there's probably a lot of, if we do turn up problems, there's going to be not much in terms of dementia, not much in terms of, of cognitive issues, you know, these kind of problems. But I think we're probably going to find that there's there's some mental health issues there that we need to to, to be working with people on and just trying to improve that. Um, and that can make a whole world of difference. Um, and, and what would you involve in the MOTs, will it? So the MOT is uh, is basically a brain scan, um, just to just see what the structure of the brain lo- looks like, and if there's any huge problems in there. I mean, we're not expecting to turn up a, an awful lot from these, but just we need to make sure before we start, there's no no big problems in there. And then it's 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 brain function tests. So it, it's um, it's looking at your memory. It's looking at all this kind of stuff that that, that you've probably had yourself. Um, seeing how that functions, taking people through screening um, questionnaires for screening assessments for mental health issues and seeing whether there's anything there that might be uncovered. And then just a general health as well. So looking at blood pressure, looking at weight, looking and, and talking about physical activity. So it's basically, you know, again, you think of, of the 11 other known uh, dementia risk factors, brain health risk factors that, that we have other than trauma um, and just, just giving them a, a kind of once over for all of them. And, and then based on the results of that MOT, a bit like, you know, I had my car MOT last week and they told me that my, my brakes barely passed, um, but they passed, that's important. Um, but, but I know that at some point I'm going to have to get my brakes seen to. So I think we sit down with people and say, um, you know, look, you're, everything's looking good from the memory, but there's a few things here that concern us about your, your, your mental health and just, you know, how you're feeling from that point of view. So, so can we work on that and try and improve it? That's 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 mega, mate. I'd uh, I'd love to come up there if, if the invites there. Uh, I'm going to get me on, get me on MOT. Um, well, but, I mean, it, it, it seems to the, the 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 other the, the other side of that is we're we're um, we've also we've kind of got a research project um, running alongside that, which is actually to uh, bring former professional league athletes in once we get things off the ground, and and do a kind of much deeper assessment, a research level assessment, including a bunch of bloods and genetics and things like that as well. Um, and we're kind of, you know, normally in research, you, you don't, you know, you use the data immediately and and, and, um, and uh, 
and, and tell people what's going on and, and adjust things. But we're, we're wondering whether actually in this population, we might just, you know, if we turn anything up, we might actually can come back and, and think about reflect, uh, um, advice. So mm. it may well be that if the project gets up and running, you're not so far away, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a call and tell you to pop up and sign a consent form and enjoy the participation yes. in the study. Yeah, mate, this, this, I know Chris mentioned that, is, this is um, it's probably a tough conversation and probably, uh, yeah, it's quite a frightening conversation. And, and as I said, I think this, this sort of been, it's been very casual in the past and this, there might have been the leak of information here and there that players hear about, but I think it's very much staying in the microcosm. Um, you know, staff, players, um, you know, maybe even medical staff included um, for, for, for how, it's, how it's dealt with and, and the culture around concussion. Um, it's, I, had a, I had a friend pass away um, last week, uh, I think it was last week, um, and he's um, Dr. Neil Verne, he's an organic chemist and environmental physicist, and he suffered with motor neuron disease. And I've sort of along this journey of concussion, alongside that journey, I've spoke with Neil at great lengths um, about some of the research and work that he's done. And, and he's, he's obviously, you know, tried to shed some light on motor neuron disease. And one of the links that I made, um, which which after speaking with Neil and then watching the Alan Shearer documentary, which you were on, uh, Willie, was that, as you just mentioned there, the sort of the speed of memory um, or the function of memory and the speed of processing, how that sort of is, is dampened down or reduced after headering and, and um, you know, different different blows to that impacts the head. Is that the link that, that you can see where it goes to, to motor neuron disease or, or things like that? Because I, I sort of see motor neuron disease being a sort of low energy state in the brain and, um, you know, it's sort of uh, eradication of, of proper signals going to the, the required muscle and stuff like that. That's how I understand it. But and that's how I've created the link. Is is that is that sort of looking at it in the right the right way or? Um... So yes and no. I mean the 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 so the important thing is that with the, the heading where, where the, the memory is impaired for um, straight after a session of heading. In that study, when we carried on and, and tested memory for the next few days, it recovered quite quickly. What, what we just don't know is if, if we did, you know, three or four sessions of heading in a week or, you know, 100 sessions of heading over a season, whether there's any long-term damage from that. So so that's the kind of study we need to follow on from. Uh, I mean, I think we haven't really drawn the line between the exposure to the, the impacts and injury. You know, what's happening immediately after that? What, what's happening deep down inside the brain? And and the the, the diseases later on, and, and, and these are all under a, a kind of one term called neurodegenerative diseases. And, and neurodegenerative actually is a good way of thinking about it, a good word to use because neuro is is kind of you know brain cells, you know, brain tissue. Degenerative is is just degenerating away. So so we haven't really figured out you know what it is that you're doing to your brain the day you hit a ball or or you know the, the years that you participate in rugby. That means that 30, 40 years later, you, you, you've developed this degenerative brain disease. Um, the kind of things that I see when I look at the brains of people who've, who've got dementia and degenerative diseases who've played rugby and football is that I see proteins and abnormalities that, that you, we see in other dementias like Alzheimer's disease. But I also see the brain is awfully inflamed. 
the blood vessels look damaged and aren't functioning the way they should do. Um, other cells that are in the brain are, are looking abnormal and, and functioning differently. So, so there's a whole bunch of different things we might have there. So maybe the inflammation, maybe the blood vessels, maybe the fine fibers in the brain that are, that are you know, releasing proteins that we shouldn't see otherwise. We just don't know which of these or which combination of these is, is driving the problem that 30, 40 years later has this, this degenerative pathology. All we can say is that if you play in, in uh, football or in American football, it's the other place we've looked, um, uh, if you've played that at a high level, professional level, your risk of, of dying from degenerative brain disease is considerably higher than it should be, but three to four times higher than it should be. And that degenerative brain disease includes dementias, football, about five times higher risk of death with Alzheimer's disease. It includes motor neurone disease, football, four times higher risk of dying with motor neurone disease. Uh, and it also includes things like Parkinson's disease, which is about doubling. Um, so it's a range of different degenerative problems. Yeah, um, and this this is sort of, I think, you know, if I were to focus on all of this all the time, I'd uh, I'd be in a bit of a bit of a daze with it all. But it's something that that I feel like I've got a duty in in, in talking about and opening up every now and then. Um, and one of the fears that I had when making that link that I just spoke about, um, you know, sort of seeing these these results that you're getting um, from from headers. Uh, and, and the reaction from the brain, how that is a sort of a very light and, and temporary shade of of what um, is happening in these these sort of higher end neurodegenerative disease, where there seems to be like a, an instant sort of shut off or a, a decline, should I say? Um, and I know that in brain injuries, they got to be treated seriously because they can also not just affect these diseases in, in the future, but also they can change personality. Um, you know, and sometimes I, I think and I've wondered, it'd be great to understand or it'd be impossible. I know it's obviously impossible, um, but it'd be great to have a version of myself to compare it with just a version of myself that's not had head knocks, that's not had any blows to the head um, with myself right now. You know to understand what yeah, the difference yeah, exactly. yeah. in, in everyday in everyday stuff. So whether it's just I'm, I'm forgetting things all the time, it's like oh it's you know it's it's um, it's 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 Dozer Stevie's or it's you know this the, the sort of personality traits. Like well is that because I've had knocks on my head since six years old, or is it just because it's me? Um, and obviously the the, the the we talk about sport, we talk about physical exercise, we talk about you know rugby league has also offered me incredible amounts in terms of character and personality um you know leadership and and so many role models and so many great connections and you know i definitely won't be the person i am today without it so it's sort of a hard hard issue to look at but it's like well wouldn't it be great to have in an ideal world an understanding of of what someone's personality looks like and what someone's um cognition and memory looks like without all of that um those knocks to the um, and as you say, it's it's it would be fascinating to do, but there is there's no, there's no way we can do it. I mean, but the, the frustration is that kind of idea of of you know what what would what would people like without head knocks it is is what the sometimes the sporting world says has to happen before they're going to believe that there's a problem with head knocks. So mm-hmm. so you know we need to run what they call um, almost randomised controlled studies, longitudinal studies where 
Um, players you know play the game. We count up head injuries. We figure out you know what the difference is between the ones of a head injury and not. Mm. As I've said before, the the exposure to head injury happens in your twenties. The, the 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 lifelong late problems are something that happens in your sixties and seventies. Um, so just by saying that, we're talking about a study that we need to run for forty or fifty years with thousands and thousands of people in it to figure out what's going on, mm. as opposed to saying, look, we've got enough evidence now of what's happening when people get bangs in the head. We've got enough evidence now of what, unfortunately, the end of life looks like in people who've got a history of getting bangs in the head. That's enough to be going on with. Um, you know, so I, I can't, we, we, unfortunately, we, as I say, we can't, we can't repair the damage that you may have in your brain. We can't rewind the clock and figure out what your brain, what your personality, what your life would look like without the damage it's there. But what we can do is say, look, you've had that. You've had the great experiences from playing the sport. You've got the connections from playing the sport. You've, you've got the physical, you know, health from playing the sport, your your brain has been injured and damaged in some way. But let's let's work on that. Let's let's figure out a way of, of working on all the other things that that affect your brain and actually you know getting you back in balance again. Um, so that well, ultimately our goal, my goal, is that we still have people playing all these sports, um, and, and the sport on a Saturday may not look much different. So there may still be the same contact there was, but just hardly any of it during the week. Um, so that so that the the, the bangs in the head are kept for a Saturday where they're, where they're important. Um, and we, we deal with them better if they do happen. Yeah. Um, so we've got the physical activity, we've got the, we've got the connections, we've got the camaraderie, we've got the, the networks, you know, all that stuff that's important for us, um, which gives us lifelong benefit. But we've dealt with the brain injury side of things. We, we've actually got far less of that happening so that that risk is reduced. And then if we're also working with people in midlife, so that we're improving all the other factors that improve brain health, working on all those, then actually we get to a point where, you know, I, I probably won't be here in 40 years' time to see what happens, but we may find that, that former rugby players, former footballers have um, no worse risk of, uh, of dementia, degenerative brain diseases, or, or if they do have a, an increased risk, it's only slightly higher, it's not this three or four times higher. Is, uh, that's... That, that's that's the instant thing that I think we must do um, to reduce the knocks, reduce reduce the uh, limit the exposure. And yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I feel like we need to improve the education too um, and the culture around it because uh, it's it's. I feel like it's not been formal enough or we've not had enough um, upfront education to it. And a lot of people and a lot of players have said um, that you know what you signed up for. It's like well. How, how on earth would you know what you've signed up for? And and something that we spoke about before, we, well, just on that, how would you know what you signed up for? Because you've not got the education, you don't, you know, you've not got all the facts and figures. You know, no one tells you when you're coming up playing this game, so you've 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 not got the ability to to make an informed decision. But also, um, you question the autonomy of, of a young individual going into into something, you know, where they want to be the best player they want to you know and, and, and they want to be able to make a name for themselves and, and progress in, in, in the career and we spoke a little bit about that mate, before we started recording but is there any sort of thing that you could mention in terms of the perception um, and, and how to navigate that when, when you've got a young player coming up yeah I mean it's uh, it, it's you know we all know this that when we're young you know we're, we're, we're invincible um, and uh, we're going to have to worry about it. We're going to live forever, and, and and you know, diseases that may come and get us in our seventies and eighties, we're not to worry about it because you know that yeah, 
70 Aces is, is, is another another world altogether. Um, but as, as we as we get older and we begin to kind of gather up all our kind of life exposures and bits of us start to, to malfunction and fall off, then we begin to think a bit more about, you know, how we how we manage this better. And what we've done, what we did was looked at, uh, we worked with our, 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 our friends in, in local professional rugby and we, we just did a bit of kind of, you know, surveying the, the, the guys there um, as to what they, they knew about concussion, about the worries about the long-term uh, risks. And what we found there was that the, the younger players, the players who were kind of newer to the game, knew slightly less about concussion and certainly were, were, were much less worried about, you know, what the future may hold. Whereas the, the guys who were kind of near the end of the career and um, had been around a bit longer knew quite a bit more about concussion and also had a quite a, quite a different view on, on you know, preserving their lifelong uh, health. So we actually used that, you know, use, use the peer network so to so get the, the, the more senior players to, to kind of be the advocates for, for good brain health and, and looking after each other. Um, and, and I think that's fairly successful. But I, th- I think it's, I mean, you know, Important point is that that point that well, the players knew what they were signing up for. I, I think that there's no question that's not true because you know I don't think anybody players been sat down and it's been explained to them clearly what what a concussion is, what the risk is, and what the lifelong consequence might be. But even if we say that, let's imagine that that you know rugby or football or any other sport does do that and sat down with them. There's then an employer, you know, because because you're, you're you're being paid. There's an employer's responsibility to reduce the risks as much as possible and if they can't reduce the risk as much as possible put in some form of package that that, that looks after the employee if they're exposed to that you know it'd be like the equivalent of saying to shipbuilders um listen this is best of stuff's not good for your lungs it causes lung disease and cancer um but you know what you're getting into um and the shipbuilders saying yeah okay um, and, and get on with it. And then at the end, you know, when they get the lung disease and cancer, the ship, the ship industry walks away from them and says, well, you signed up for it. It's like, well, hang on a second. The ship industry, quite rightly, uh, was told to clean up its act. Not only that, the ship industry was told to get rid of the asbestos, but, but where the damage has been caused is look after the players, and, uh, sorry, the, 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 the shipbuilders and the families um, appropriately, compensate them, you know. Um, so, so I think... I think this is where we get into this. Your sport needs to recognise this is a problem and needs to do what it can to reduce the problem as much as possible. You know, get rid of the training impacts, um, deal with the brain injuries much better on the field, uh, but also accept responsibility that if a player you know, leaves the game in their 20s because of a brain injury, they've got responsibility as their former employee to, to look after them through that. And maybe even for, for life, you know, so maybe even they need to come back when they're you know, other players are in the sixties and seventies and developing disease and saying, "Well, actually, you know, this is part of a part of what we've done in the game." So it, it becomes an industrial injury. Um, it's an industrial disease. So, so I think these are the you know, at that point, I think you can say to a player, "Well, you knew what you signed up for," because what you signed up for was awareness of what the problem was and the, the appropriate safeguards and compensations to make sure that you know my life, my risks were lower. Yeah. And how do you view um, the current class actions that are going on? We obviously had the experience of the NFL uh, and what went on over there. Uh, wh- how do you view all the proceedings now? I, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I think I think, um, I think the, the, the courts will decide. You know, the, the, the legal system will decide. You know, where the culpability lies and where the, where the line of responsibility lies. Um, and and, it, and with the, 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 the rapid advances we've had in understanding over the last you know, 20 years, um, it, it's going to be difficult to figure out exactly you know, 
where responsibility was and who was responsible for it. But but I would say that um, certainly in the last you know four or five ten years even uh, it's been pretty clear. You know when you look at the NFL situation, you know you, we talked about um, the the concussion film with Will Smith and you know, the story behind that. Um, you know our study a couple of years ago reporting on degenerative diseases in footballers. Um, you know all that evidence pretty much tells sport that needs to be acting now. I, I I don't know what's going to happen in the courts. You know in 2021, you know, when, when, when these cases are tested. What I can predict what will happen in 20, 30, 40 years' time if if nothing drastically changes because because then in sport will be entirely responsible because it's not like the data's not there. It's not like people like me haven't been screaming from the, the rafters for the last five or ten years that sport needs to change. Mm. Where do you stand on... Um... Thinking about the sports I, I enjoy the most, I'm a big fan of football, rugby league, and I've always been fascinated by um, boxing and mixed martial arts. I remember my granddad would wake me up in the mornings when Mike Tyson was fighting, and yeah. the sense of spectacle on occasion, and and not even from uh, I could understand that people find the brutality really tough, but it was more these two athletes who train themselves to the absolute physical capabilities and in mixed martial arts rather the skill set involved and the i've just always been a fan of it but i do find it troubling and you know i think it's it's you can't imagine a world where you can ban it because these are two consensual athletes who've chosen to um to 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 do this sport and it might not be for everyone but you know i think there's a place to it but is it kind of similar then that you think maybe the hard sparring and things like that are things which should be a thing of the past and that no, so, so I mean, when you, when you look at when you look at you know boxing, to be honest, I mean, you know, so, so my my interest is obviously trying to understand brain injury and, and preserve brains as much as possible. But I'll probably surprise you to say that actually, you know, I'm not so worried about boxing. Um, you know, boxing, you know, the boxers do know what they're getting into. You know, they, mm-hmm. they do understand. You know, the the, the 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 aim of the game is to inflict a brain injury and, and knock your opponent out. Um, and, and you know, if you're trying to do that, then he's trying to do that back at you. So so they understand that, and they also understand. You know, as I say, boxing for the last several decades has understood that, that there's a lifelong consequence of that, um, that you may end up with a problem. But, but what boxing does is it has medical regulations in there to protect the, the, the boxers as much as possible. So if you're a professional boxer, you've got to have your, a full and rigorous, you know, we talk about MOT, but you've got a full and rigorous brain testing every year, including a brain scan. Uh, the, the earliest signs that might be a problem there, your license is taken away from you. If you get knocked out in boxing, you're out for weeks. You know, if you get knocked out a couple of times in short succession, you're out for months. Uh, you know, so so actually, you know, boxing, funnily enough, although they're out to inflict a brain injury, the actual support and management of boxers is probably better than it is in, in other sports like rugby and football, where, you know, in, in football, the concussion management policies are dreadful, um, to be honest. In rugby, they're, they're better, but, but, you know, even the better means that you can be back in playing the next week after being knocked out the week before. Um, so, so you know, I, I almost would rather, as part of this awareness and awakening in rugby and football, is that we end up down the line of, of boxing where um, you, you have a licence to play rugby. Um, and if you get knocked out playing rugby, your licence is suspended for um, a period of weeks. So you can't even, you know, can't even try to go back and train or play. And that each year as a professional, you as part of your your workup, you're given a, a full and thorough brain examination, including a brain scan, 
And again, at the first signs of, of any problems at all, your, your license is removed and, and your, your boxing career is over, your, sorry, your rugby career is over, your football career is over. I think that's the level we need to get at because we're, we're talking about the kinds of injuries. I say that the brain, your brain has no idea whether it's, it's boxing or playing rugby when it gets a brain injury. It's the same injury. Um, so we should be thinking about it the same way. Is this still the question of how to improve boxers boxing the week, you know, in terms of subconcussive blows? Is there anything that they've done that you, that you can see that's helped boxing or that, is that just sort of like an understanding that they're going to get them to? Well, I mean, I haven't, I haven't kind of uh, looked too closely at the uh, boxing boxing training, but, um, you know, I believe certainly in the, the senior professional level, a lot of what they're doing is is not necessarily contact. They're doing a lot of rope work, a lot of, you know, cardio work, a lot of uh, weights work, a lot of, you know, um, you know bag work, um, and, and less banging each other around the head. Uh, and, yeah, maybe in the lead up to, you know, a, a you know, serious bout there, they're in the ring and, and getting a bit more physical with it, but but I suspect that if you um, you know take the, the likes of uh, Tyson Fury, that he's not doing much you know being hit or, or hitting people um, in the in the months between big bouts, but, but only in the lead up to it. So um, I'm going to say I, I I think you know the, the the sort of official line from from the medical community is that we should be calling for boxing to be banned. I'm not really I'm not really into that at all. I, I think in terms of if we're thinking about the brain side of things. You know, in comparison to other sports, they're doing a damn sight better job. Um, you know, <laughs> but ultimately you're there to inflict a brain injury, so it's never going to be a great job. But it's it's a damn sight better than the sports where you know uh, people more commonly engage. I, I would rather that you know, rugby and football were fixing its house before we start thinking about banning uh, boxing. Mm. Yeah, it's a good call. I think that obviously there's, as you said, it's an awakening, mate. I think it is an awakening that's probably took a little bit too long. Mm. Um, in my eyes, and I wish it would have happened a bit earlier, but we, we do have to, to use this momentum to, to put those instant things in place, and I don't know why they're not. The RFL or the governing bodies are a few items speaking openly about considering um, reducing the contact in the week. Um, with, with I, I think I think it's a generational thing to be, you know, I, I think, you know, it may be that a lot of the the people who are running the game or coaching the game are from a generation where, where they, they were just put through the mill and um, believe that the only way to succeed on the, the big match on Saturday is to is to be destroyed because that's what happened to them. Um, and it maybe just needs you know somebody with, with fresh ideas, you know, new thinking to have a slightly more scientific approach to it and say, well, you know, could we get away with less? I mean that that's that's going to be a generation. But the NFL, as I say, just did it overnight, virtually in the off season, and said, "When you guys come back next season, um, there's going to be virtually no contact training during season." Um, so, if it, it, it may be that you know your generation have to become coaches and say, "Well, you know, the kind of things that were done to me were daft," because now we understand what's going on, and I want to you know, preserve your guys' career as long as possible. I would hope that before you get to kind of the the, the, the generation of coaching the young folk that um, the game will take responsibility and just step in and say, coaches, if we hear of you putting players through contact training sessions, you're you're in, you're in big trouble. You know, you'll be in front of the league and you'll be paying fines. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's. I mean, there's a question. Just playing devil's advocate, they'd be they'd be questioning the durability and contacts. Um, and 
you know, getting ready, getting your body ready for contact. But it's it, there's got to be a there's got to be a balance, I think. So, it, 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 how many matches you got in a season, typical league season? I believe forty. Uh, if you right. you're in all of them, I think. So do you, so do you think? I mean, just just from being a player, do you think that once the season gets rolling and you're playing, you know, week after week after week, match after match after match, that you, you forget how to take the contact? No, not for sure. You through it five times a week. Yeah, in, the, in season, like you, you're, uh, you know, thinking thinking back a bit, you know, you you could be playing a full contact game on Friday night, and you know, you'd have wrestling session on the Monday, um, contact session on the Monday. It's like you just <laughs> your body's just about getting. Well, probably it takes about three or four days to get fully right. Yeah, you're doing it again, um, and obviously your body's not probably had enough time to heal and recover. So, and, and so that's why I don't get. It. I mean, you know, the, the this 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 fallacy that for some reason, unless you're uh, repeatedly um, thrown at contact, you'll forget how to to play the game of rugby league or, or rugby union, or, or you'll forget to head a ball. It's just just nonsense. Uh, and actually, you know, in some of the sports, they found that players are, are far better off for for less contact because when they come to match day. They've got less niggles, less brute. You know, they're just just physically in better shape um, and can perform better. Um, and and funnily enough, none of them have forgotten how to tackle or take a tackle. So yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it just reminds me of um, there's a famous mixed martial artist called Max Holloway, and he put in a performance a few weeks ago that many people think is like the greatest martial arts performance of all time. He just put on an absolute clinic, like it was it was beautiful. Um, obviously, quite brutal for people who are not a fan as well. But in it, he said he stopped hard sparring. Um, two, three years ago. So it takes almost no uh, headshots or anything in the lead up to the fight. And is it, he doesn't have to prove he's tough. Do, do you know what I mean? That's all that does. He doesn't have to, He just works on skills, techniques, pad work, movement. And like I said, he he takes the knocks when he has the two, three fights a year. But outside of that, he doesn't need to prove that anymore. And he looked phenomenal. So people are saying, oh, maybe there's something in this. Because um, you do leave yourselves in the gym, I'm sure. If you're getting in wars and um, you can... That's going to take its toll on you. Like you said, it probably has a more of a negative impact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, I think I think uh, it goes into another debate, and probably we haven't got time to go into it. But we might have to do a, a, a debrief Definitely. after this, Chris, but uh, and have to get you back on again. Um, Can I but, jump in with one question very quickly, Steve? That's just, it's one. There's a few we didn't get to, but there's one definitely. I just wanted to to touch on. It was my main question, but it was a. Uh, Specific nutritional or supplements that you, that you recommend? I've heard things like blueberries, omega threes. I've heard um, curcumin. So, yeah, any thoughts? A lot of kind of these kind of uh, this advice comes around, you know. And there's there's, there's a bunch of companies, you know, um, pushing supplements for for brain health and brain injury. Most famous one being a chocolate milk company in, in the US who uh, sponsored the study to look at their chocolate milk and concussion, and uh, not surprisingly, we found out. Um, I I'm not sure there's, there's there's brilliant evidence in a lot of these as to what the the, the necessarily immediate beneficial effects might be, but but certainly a good healthy diet, a good healthy balanced diet, uh, and actually a Mediterranean diet. And don't ask me what that looks like because because you know it's it's you need to Google it. Um, the NHS has a good advice on the Mediterranean diet, and that that is you know lots of veg, lots of you know good oils. Um, so so these are these are things we know have got benefit. Um, all the other supplements and bit species less less secure on fish. Fish oil is probably a, a big thing that that's what you say is an immediate one. We'll later uh, can look at. But, but uh, you know, I, I think these the, these are all kind of ideas to think of after you've 
dealt with the problems of, of let's get rid of as much head injury, head impact as possible, let's deal with it as best as we can. And then in midlife, let's look at the things we know there's good evidence of and let's deal with them, let's get the diet and the exercise and all that sort of stuff. Now. And then if you want to throw in some extra bits and pieces on, as I say, which the evidence may not be so strong, it's not going to do you any harm, might do you some good, but it's not going to you know, drain your bank balance, then by all means go for it. Um, you know, who am I to object? But, Sure, for sure. Brilliant, mate. Uh, that's been enlightening, frightening, uh, uh, very insightful, and uh, a big, big chat, I feel, in, in making change. So thank you, Dr. Willie Stewart, for joining us. Mate. Thanks for the time. Good to chat. Thank you, Willie. Really appreciate it, mate. Pleasure. Okay, well, let me give you an invitation to join the Inner Sanctum to progress yourself in terms of brain health to progress yourself in terms of mental health mentality have launched evolve which is your mental health training regime we break it down into three sectors one is your team it's the community where you can learn the science of implementing habits it is the community which will help you progress as a human being as a man and it's a community where we all chat about life and we all chat about the things we're learning and we all chat about the things which sometimes can be hard to speak about if you do not have the right environment, if you do not have the friends around you. From there, we join the gym. The gym has the home workouts devised by Chris Black, by Keegan Hurst, by professional conditioning coaches. It also has the mind gym, meditations, the workouts to further better your brain, the breath work, the yoga, all of these things we're fusing together to make it an easy thing to do for you whether you're in lockdown or whether you just need a bit of time for yourself to improve so that's the gym the school is the base for the workshops for the thinking for the learning for the understanding and for understanding a lot of these things that we don't talk about we don't talk about we don't talk about challenges existentially we don't talk about questioning if there's more we don't talk about if there's more to our lives right now. We don't talk about when we, we, we don't talk about ego, we don't talk about purpose, we don't talk about values, but within this workshop we do. And I guide you through it personally. Uh, I guide you through these sessions, I guide you through these learnings. And if you're someone that's asked these questions before, but you've not found the outlet, here you can ask them with a group of men who are well and truly concerned with answering these and finding answers for yourselves and finding that springboard to a better life a more honest life a more purposeful life and something which will help you be the most honest and best version of yourself without doubt it's one of the proudest things that that has evolved out of mentality and it's one of the things that i see as a service to, to offer the world going forward see you on the inside and thank you for listening to this podcast it's always a pleasure to get the feedback and the responses from people who value mentality so much cheers guys see you on the next one